Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 80. This week, Carl goes on location at the MVP Summit at the Microsoft campus with a plethora of interviews. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. All right, right now I'm talking to Ben Dewey. He is the Director of Mobile Practice at Talon, and he's also a Microsoft MVP. Hi, Ben. Hey, how's it going, Carl? Pretty good. So uh, at the hackathon that we're doing here, uh, you're, you're finishing up a project that you started. Uh, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so um, you know, with a lot of projects, they kind of seem simple on the surface. And uh, you know, one of the ones I, I was playing around with was this idea of using uh, upgrading character map or, or car map, depending on how you, how you want to call it, in Windows. Um, with the, the kind of recent improvements in a lot of the ways we use fonts, both in Windows and on the web, people end up using um, them for more than just the alphabet and characters that you're used to. People are using it for um, image assets, and they're using it as a way to kind of um, optimize vector graphics within applications. So we were finding that we were using, you know, trying to find fonts with, that are buried inside libraries, and, and there wasn't really a good built-in way within Windows. If you tried using that to look at some of those vector graphics, they were very small. Um, and I wanted to, to take this as an opportunity to really explore um, some of the areas in Windows 10, um, specifically from a, an adaptive UI perspective and, and how we could um, have a real e example of something that, that's really valid. Yeah, so for those of you following at home, just go type car map into the start menu and uh, you'll see something that was probably written before WinForms was even a technology, I'm sure. And right. yeah, that, you know, I'll agree. You have very tiny icons that you really can't, you can't even look at them in a larger font size. And with some of the new font icons, they're really hard to see, you know, like some of the details that you're trying to get. So, um, yeah, definitely it's not optimized in any way for Windows 10 and some of the, the beautiful designs that we're starting to see on the new platform. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it easy to not only view these, but you know give people the option of like, hey, I want to see these bigger, potentially different colors. Yeah, exactly. That's how it started out. Is just like, let's just see these bigger. That's the, the main <laughs> idea. Um, but I've actually been trying to, to use the opportunity here at the hackathon to try to get other people's opinions about design uh, and really come up with a concise representation of, of, a, of a responsive design within a Windows 10 universal app. So not only you know, have it make fit the look and feel of the, the newer design guidelines in the operating system, but also to just explore the technologies that we have now and uh, incorporate this in this project. Yeah. Um, so far, you know, I'm using the split view, the new hamburger menu, uh, one of the new relative panels, which is very important as far as um, adaptive designs and, and trying to match this to all different screen sizes. So is this on GitHub right now, or can, can, can we get a preview on it? Can we help um, you with it? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to get people here to help me out. I got, I got a couple other people that are interested. It's on GitHub, and I have a few little uh, lists just here on, on OneNote locally for, for the people here that are helping out. All right, so um, we'll put a link to uh, the project in the show notes. Um, if there's issues on there, go ahead, check it out. You yeah. know, submit a pull request. That's awesome. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Ben? No, thanks for having me on the show. So uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can go to my blog, which is bendewey.com. Uh, you can also find me anytime on Twitter, which is at Ben Dewey. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. All right. Thanks. Hi. Today we're talking to Bill Wagner, president of the Humanitarian Toolbox. Morning, Carl. How are you doing? Pretty good. Um, so we're talking about the Humanitarian Toolbox today. Can you right. give us a little bit of overview of what that is? Okay. So what we do, we build open source software 
for to support humanitarian disaster relief efforts. So the organizations we build software for are people like the Red Cross, FEMA, the UN, other international organizations that provide support and relief after a disaster. And part of where we're different and what we do is you think about those organizations, you know, and when they get money, they spend it on blankets, food, shelter, tents, heaters, you know, whatever's needed. Things to resolve conflicts in the crisis at hand. Right. So, you know, it's very, very reactive, right? And, and that's what they should be doing. That's their entire mission. We're all software developers. So what we're trying to do and what we're trying to help and provide a good avenue for our community is how can I help out using my skills, right? I mean, you know, I can carry food, I can help unpack things, but that really doesn't change the way things happen and really doesn't leverage the skills I have or your listeners have. So what we're doing is we're working with those organizations and we're saying what software can help you be better? Mm-hmm. And the particular app we're working on right now is called Already. And it's kind of interesting in that what it does is it doesn't support something after a disaster. What this application does is the Red Cross is going to use that to run campaigns that will hopefully prevent disasters. Okay. So our first pilot is taking place close to your neighborhood in, in Chicago. And they're going to be running a campaign to do uh, install smoke detectors in neighborhoods and in facilities and, and dwellings that don't have them. That's cool. So what our app does is going to help manage that workflow. So the Red Cross is going to say, here's this campaign. We want everybody on, say, South Loop to have a smoke detector in three weeks. So we're engaging stores like Home Depot, Lowe's, whoever. Can you donate a whole bunch of smoke detectors. We want to engage volunteer organizations, local Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, local Kiwanis, whatever's in, in the neighborhood. Can you go door to door and see who has them? You know, engage local contractors or other um, general people and say, can you go install them once we know who needs them? And get cash donations. They'll pay for the smoke detectors, pay for you know, food and drinks for the people who are going out in the field and so on. And what the goal of that is, is, you know, we know smoke detectors save lives. Yes. In some of these neighborhoods, a lot of places don't have them. And, you know, you can talk about doing, you can talk about doing things, but because of their financial conditions, maybe it's also elderly people who don't feel handy. They just don't have them, you know, and the numbers are are staggering. You know, like in one day, more than $8,000 get spent in cleaning up after fires. You know, and one day, uh, Jim McGowan from the Red Cross was sharing us, one day, 37 people lost their homes. Right? Multiply that over a year, and this is the impact we can have. So um, we're creating this application. They're going to pilot it there. And as that flows out and if that works well, then we're going to enhance it, add more features, and roll it out to other regional uh, offices of the Red Cross. Other organizations can use it. It's all open source. And for organizations that don't want to manage the IT, fine. They can come to us and we'll host it on Azure. We'll set up you know, an, an organization login for them. They can manage all their own stuff. They can contact us for support. And we're looking at the community to help build that software out. So how can we as developers get involved with the humanitarian right, so, toolkit? 
So what you can do is you can go to um, github.org or github.com slash htbox, and that mm -hmm. will show all of our applications. Already is the one we're really concentrating on right now. And it's a great opportunity for some of the developers to learn new skills. Already is built using ASP.NET 5, okay. and the mobile apps are built using Apache Cordoba. So if you want to get a chance to dive in and learn some of those skills, you know this is a great application. We've got milestones set up for each of our sprints. Look at the issues under those milestones. Add a comment on one that says, I want to work on this, you know, and then start going, I've got questions. What do you mean by this? And we'll answer, and uh, Jim from the Red Cross will also chime in and say what he means by some of the requirements. Uh, submit a pull request, and uh, there you go. Uh, that sounds simple enough, and it sounds like something that uh, we're all we're all used to making pull requests. So. I think, yeah, and, and so it's a great opportunity to get involved and, you know, if you've got ASP.NET 5 questions, once again, one of our core contributors will certainly help out. All right. So where can we get a hold of you online, and where can okay. we find out a little bit more about the Humanitarian Toolbox so, if we have more questions? Humanitarian Toolbox is htbox.org, because we found nobody could spell humanitarian. So <laughs> htbox.org. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. And there you can learn about the organization. Uh, you can find me online at Bill Wagner on Twitter. You know, go ahead and just... Shoot me a message, hit a reply to me, and I'll uh, be happy to answer any questions and put you in touch with anything else. My website for anything else that I do outside of HTBox is just thebillwagner.com, and leave me a note there, and I'll be happy to get in touch. All right. Thanks a lot for talking to us today, Bill. All right. Thank you, Carl. It's great. All right. Now, right now, we're talking to uh, Dan Delamarski, if that I get that correct. right. Correct. Uh, he's a PM on the content team at Microsoft. And we're here to talk about documentation. Documentation is the most fun topic to talk about. So we're here at the MVP Hackathon today mm -hmm. uh, for a little bit of content and or context. And you're trying to get help uh, getting the uh, MSDN documentation? Yes. Uh, actually, a documentation for any of the developer Welcome resources the all up. So if we're talking ASP.NET, uh, .NET Core, Azure, MSDN is obviously a big chunk of that. TechNet, anything documentation related to Microsoft. So just to be clear, everything that's documentation from a developer or IT pro resource yes. kind of falls under you and your team. Uh, well, yes, I'm <laughs> part of the team that manages it, yes. correct, yes. Uh, so what are you here to you know, get everybody else inspired about? So I'm here to advocate for the community to actually help us make the documentation better. So we hear a lot of feedback from developers saying that uh, some of the parts of our documentation might be incomplete, some of that might be outdated, and obviously you know, the documentation resources at Microsoft are ginormous. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of stuff. There's thousands of pages that people scour every day. And we want to make it better. We want to make that experience better for developers. And we're moving towards a uh, community contribution model where anybody that can find any issues with documentation will be heard and will improve the documentation based on that feedback. Um, one of the things that we move towards is converting our docs into a flavor of markdown. So you no longer have to worry about how you can contribute. You actually can just go to GitHub and issue a pull request to the doc that, that you've That's awesome. In. Yes. And, you know, like sites like Azure, the Azure documentation, .NET Core, ASP.NET, they already moved to that model. So you can do that today. Uh, and for some of the MSDN content, we're also moving towards that model. And today we have a repo located at aka.ms slash msdn dash content. So if you feel that there's any particular topic that is a pain point for you, just go there, create a new issue, give us a link, we'll convert a markdown, then you can fix it, and we'll pull the change back. So if we see, like, uh, descriptions wrong, and maybe, or, or not wrong, but uh, confusing, 
mm-hmm. we can go and clarify those ourselves and create that poll. Absolutely. Post. Or if you feel that there is not enough screenshots, the sample is bad. The sample doesn't describe something that you feel that is crucial to that particular topic. Feel free to just go create a new issue and it'll be done. That's great because there's a lot of content that I see that, you know, the documentation up down to the very bottom is, is fine, but I, I want to know how to use it. And right. there's, there's right. no code yeah. examples. And now if you have an expertise in this or you just know of one, you can put one out there to clarify everything else that's being set up above. Absolutely. And you bring up a very interesting topic because we're actually looking also for end-to-end samples. Like a lot of the topics that we cover are very like atomic. So you're thinking about like system.string, right? It's a very small entity that you just look at it and for reference is good enough. But what if we can actually show you a full-blown app that leverages a specific technology? Or, you know, there's some great ideas here today. There's a lot of people working with Connect, Windows Phone, Windows Store apps. All those things, developers want to see, just give me something that works. Yeah. Give me something that I can just run, and then I can go through it and figure out the details of each and every one of those. So we're also looking for contributions in that specific area. If you have any end-to-end samples, uh, web apps, Connect apps, mobile apps, anything like that. It would be fantastic. So, you know, one question that I, I have that, uh, you know, seems like, you know, it could be an issue is when uh, things get upgraded to the next version, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that there's a lot of this documentation that's auto-generated. Absolutely. How, how, how do some of these custom uh, pull requests flow through when they make sense and don't come up to the next version when they don't make sense. So mm-hmm. how, how are we going to handle that? Uh, I think for a lot of it, there is still some manual process involved mm-hmm. in validating that it actually works or not. We're working on automating that process. And for each code snippet, for each sample, we can easily say, look, this compiles on .NET 4.5, but doesn't work on .NET 3. So we can auto-assign the right version. Okay. Uh, today, it's still a manual process. All right, so that's something that's being looked for for the future. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of things that are being looked for for the future. All right, so is there anything else with documentation that you wanted to share with us today? Uh, Yes, actually, we are just now revamping our user voice, so msdn.uservoice.com. Any feedback regarding the user experience, content, uh, anything that is related to, let's say, search, any of those points, like anything that can make documentation better for you, we are very open to getting that feedback and integrating that feedback in a product. So you no longer have to suffer because some doc is outdated and you're constantly referencing it. You know, There's a lot of evergreen pages that people mm-hmm. just reference constantly. And if we can make it better for you, just let us know how. All right, awesome. Anything else that you want to talk about? No, I'm just going to thank you for this opportunity. All right, uh, so where can people find you online? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter at uh, Dennis Code with a double N, uh, and obviously DennisDell.com if you are keen on reading my blog. So there'll be another page. All right, it was great talking to you. Fantastic. Today. Thanks so much, Carl. Yep. Thanks. Now we're talking to Eric Potter. He's a software architect for Aptera. Hi, Eric. How's it going, Carl? Pretty good. So we're talking about Canopy, and you were telling me that it's a web testing framework. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? So a lot of people are probably familiar with the Selenium platform, mm-hmm. which allows you to write automated tests, um, allowing you to write scripts that drive a browser plugin. So you can test your application as the browser will see it, uh, how the user would interact with it, right? Mm-hmm. And Selenium is really powerful, but it's a little bit verbose. And so what Canopy is, Canopy is uh, a library that allows you to write these really terse, clean scripts 
to automate what I want the browser to do and then assert that the page looks the way that I want it to do. So let's, let me give you an example. I want to test my login page on a, and make sure that a user can log in and they get re redirected to their home page. So I could write a Canopy script to find the username box and put some text in there, find a password box, put the text in there, click on the login button, the browser would then navigate to the home screen and I could validate that we showed up on that home screen. The other thing that's really neat is that to do all this, I'm not using XPath or some other language that I don't know to find these elements. I'm actually just using CSS, which as a web developer is something I know really well. So I find the username text box with the CSS for it. I find the login button with the CSS for it. So, so you know, stepping back a bit, so what language are we talking about directly? So is this JavaScript? Is this, you know, a, you know, a custom script? You know, you know, what does that look like for the, from the developer point of view? What skill set do I need? Good question. So technically, it's an F-sharp project. All right. When you start, you're going to say, uh, file new F-sharp console application. All right. But that shouldn't scare anyone away. Because if you look at, like, the base script, there's not a lot of F-sharp there that you have to know. In fact, probably the most important F-sharp thing you need to know to get started is that it has significant white space. Now... You can get started without knowing a lot of F-sharp, which is nice, but you have the full power of F-sharp there if you want it. Uh, I've said many times that F uh, Canopy is a nice gateway drug into F-sharp. All right. Because once I have this test suite, I might want to use some of the really awesome things that F-sharp has, like type providers. Uh, or I could take advantage of the fact that because it's a .NET language, I could call into a C-sharp library if I want to. So it's pretty slick. So what, what I can do is I, I can look at some of the examples that you already have, and that'll provide me enough basic stuff. So oh, yeah. if I am new to F-sharp, I can just go with that. And if I know CSS and JavaScript selectors, you know, just you know, how to reference you know, a class or an ID or something, that's how I hook into the HTML document itself. Correct. So if I have a, a standard you know, a web background and you know, I, I have a working understanding of how... .NET languages go, I should be able to give it a go in F-sharp, but if I really am uncomfortable, I can just use the language of choice. Like C-sharp or VB or something like that. You could. That, you could, but it's not meant for. Okay. You would, okay. There would be, you would probably end up in other tools other than Canopy for that. All right. So, so if we're interested in functional, which I've always been meaning to get F-sharp, but I've hit file new project on F-sharp a bunch of times, but I've never really gotten into it, so... Yeah, I, I'm interested in this because, uh, I mean, like you said, if you have good examples, it's, it's something that you can get in with low risk. Right. So I'll say this. The way that people should get started is go out to lefthandedgoat.github.io. <laughs> Great name. Well, uh, the guy that maintains the project is a guy named Chris Holt, uh, and he, he's, a, he's a good active maintainer. Um, it is a funny name. Anyway, so you go to lefthandedgoat.github.io, and there's an example right on the, the page there. Mm-hmm. That'll say it'll show you create your F# -sharp console application and then just paste this in to your program.fs mm -hmm. and from there um, you have to add the canopy NuGet reference which we should all know how to do that and then as long as you have Firefox installed you should be able to run it all right and that 
I mean, you're you're off the ground and running uh, within minutes. Now I say Firefox. Uh, the reason for that, Canopy depends on Selenium, which depends on browser plugins to work. Firefox sol- uh, ships with the Selenium WebDriver plugin installed. Right. There is a very simple install for the plugins for the other browsers, but out of the box, Firefox has it. If you have Firefox installed, you're ready to go. All right, excellent. So is there um, you know, any scenario that I might want to think I might want to use this for, but really isn't ready yet? I don't know that it's not ready, but there are things about automated web testing that are kind of out of bounds. So let's say that I want to test an animation, mm-hmm. right? Because it's very visual, because it's very time sensitive, that's really hard to test um, from an automated perspective. So, so I'm probably not going to test that. Things that are incredibly dynamic in your web page, if you're doing some custom drawing, mm-hmm. that's going to be really hard to validate as well. So things that are more functional and... More visual. Okay. So is there, is there anything else you want to tell us about this project? Uh, it's open source. Uh, it's, it's a good way to uh, see what a good F-sharp project would look like if you want to look at the source. Uh, but I just encourage people to check it out. Uh, we've been using it uh, where I work at Aptera, having really good success um, building out automated regression tests so our guys can you know, add new features and then really quickly run through this test and make sure you didn't break anything Make sure else. that nothing broke. Um, everyone that's gotten into it has found it pretty easy to pick up. And these are all guys without F-sharp backgrounds. Um, so we're providing a lot of value in testing without a lot of development effort. Awesome. Uh, so where can people find you online, Eric? My Twitter handle is Potter Eric, uh, and I blog at HumbleToolsmith.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. All right. Thanks. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, They have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you can try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show.
Hi, I have Jason Bach. He's a practice lead at Magenic, and he's a .NET MVP or .NET Languages MVP. Whatever it says on my badge, <laughs> .NET. So. All right. So uh, once again, you're working on a hackathon project as well called Rocks. Yes. So, so what, what what is Rocks? Um, so Rocks is a mocking library. Okay. That I've been working on off and on for the last year. And its primary goal is not to replace any other mocking framework that's there, like MOQ or Unsubstitute, Fake It Easy. They're all great. There's no reason to just abandon them. The reason I'm doing the project was mostly I wanted to be able to write a mocking library that was fully powered by Roslyn. Okay. Because the current mocking libraries all use IL generation or system reflection emit, which is fine, but it's painful. It's, it's not easy. Um, for many reasons. So using the Roslyn API, you've got a much cleaner syntax. You can work with constructs that are in the language that you're used to, like C Sharp. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that that's essentially why I did it. So, so what kind of improvements does this give people using Rocks versus those other ones? From a, a user perspective, not much. I mean, the the API is kind of inspired by MOQ in some ways. So. There's, there's no real difference from that perspective right now. And, mm -hmm. and I'll get back to that point in a moment. Um, the, the bigger one is for me as a, as a developer of the framework. So, so one of the things that I've also added is there's, there's a framework called Microsoft Fakes, which I'm not really fond of. But one of the things that it does is that it gives you the ability, well, it, you have to do this. You have to generate all your, your fakes um, when you compile your code, and that's what you actually use. Like whereas with mock and end substitute, they create all their mocks on the fly as you're running your tests. There's a little bit of a performance hit when you do that because the first time you create the mock, it has to synthesize the type. Then after that, it can cache it and just reuse that one, so it's much faster. And I've noticed in some really big projects I've been on, if there's lots of types that we're mocking, that those little spend a lot of time in the testing executions. Well, it, those those little paper cuts of of creating that mock the first time start adding up. And so one of the things I also did with this framework is, can I point it at a, an assembly and then post build say just generate the mocks then, and then and then I reference that assembly in my test, so then all the mocks are pre-generated. And so the, the thought was then that you can give people the option of saying, I want, I'll either generate them at runtime or generate them at compile time. Yeah. And so one of the, the stress tests I did is I pointed it at MS CoreLib or whatever assembly system object lives in, because that's now changing all the time. But to give it a stress test to say all these core BCL framework types, see how many I can mock and then mock them. And holy crap, does that bring up a lot of edge cases that I never thought of, like with refs and outs and pointers and arrays of pointers and all this stuff. Okay, so the nice thing, getting back to how does this beneficial, is that because I'm generating essentially C-sharp code and I'm compiling this with this API, is I can save that to disk, generate the PDB stuff with it, and then step into these calls or look at them if, if, if the comp compilation is failing and then just look at C-sharp code and go, oh, line number here, there, that's what's wrong with this. And that's the diagnostic information, which is some pretty helpful information, much more than what you'd see with IL. And it made it so much easier to fix all these issues that I was running into. So again, as a, as a project for experimentation to show if you're doing code generation, you know, there... The, the differences in speed may be still slightly better if you do IL, but for a whole experience, I find it so much easier 
if you're going to go down the route of doing this, just use the Roslyn APIs because what you're going to get back is languages and tools that you're much more friendly, that, that you're much more used to than if you have to go using something like IL. And you're accepting uh, pull requests and people to help you with this too. So it sounds also yeah. like because you're using Roslyn, it's a lot more approachable for somebody who might not, you know, be used to working with you know all that reflection and all that other stuff that you it, mentioned earlier. Yeah, it, it's still not easy. I, I'm not. I don't mean to try to trivial, trivialize it in any way, shape, or form because you're you're still using compiler APIs. You're still doing things that are are slightly out of the norm, but it's it's a lot easier than saying. By the way, our underlying core types are all going to be generated with IL on the fly, and to to diagnose and fix that stuff. I just know from experience can be harder to do. So um, I have not received any you know, like help on this project yet, probably because people don't know a lot about it. And quite honestly, if if I'm the only one that ends up just working on it over time, that's fine because it's just it's one of those fun pet projects that I'll use. I do want it to be a project that if you do decide to bring it in and use it, that it's not just a toy project that fails everywhere, that it actually does what it's intended to do and that people could actually use it as a legitimate mocking library. So is this at a state right now where it is usable at least at some level? Yeah, yeah, right. I, I think it is. Um, I, I do have it published in NuGet. I, it's a beta, but the only difference between that and if I push it right now as a 1.0 is that it would have a different version number. There's like not that many. I, I've nailed down as many you know issues that I know of and now, really, if I look at my list of issues, they're, they're pretty much all enhancements of things I could add on to make things even a little nicer. So, Yeah, that sounds great. So if uh, is this on GitHub, too, or is it just on yes. GitHub? So, so if we want to check it out, we can pull it down, uh, put it in our projects, and give feedback to you? Yep, I would take it, most definitely. That's, that's awesome. So um, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, Jason, at Jason Bach. Um, on GitHub, it's github.com slash jasonbach. That's where you're, you'll also find the repo, which that's why I named it. Well, I named it Rocks because it's Roslyn plus Mox. But then it also gives me a URL that looks like jasonbach slash rocks. So you can't lose. And then it's, the package is also up on NuGet if you search for rocks. So. All right. Excellent. Thanks a lot for talking to me today, right. Jason. No problem. All right. We're talking to Jimmy and Jessica Engstrom. Uh, one is Marvel, one is DC, one is Blend, and one is Visual Studio. Uh, they are a married couple and also both MVPs in the Windows Developer Program. So, hi. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. So, you know, part of what I wanted to talk about is the interviews that we have are going on today are at the MVP Summit. And I'm not sure that everybody who listens to our show is aware of what an MVP actually is. So, could you give a description of that? I would say that an MVP is someone who does stuff for the community, and, and in our case, it's a Windows platform or Windows developer platform community. Um, help that could be helping out people, or, or that can be blogging or making events and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I, I would say. Yeah, in our case, it's a lot of hackathons, it's code evenings, it's user groups. We we do a podcast together and uh, stuff and like conference. that. And conference. And conference, yeah. So basically, helping people with techno technology questions and, and yeah. especially developer questions. Yeah. And then uh, after you've done all that, Microsoft has, this is an award program. So Microsoft has seen that you guys have gone above and beyond in your reach and scope of what you've done. 
So um, in addition, you know, you, you mentioned that you guys have a podcast and a user group. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is, if people are interested? Yeah, okay. We... In Sweden, we have a lot of uh, companies, uh, consultant firms, you know, mm -hmm. the ones that have have them for loans or whatever you, you call it. Uh, they have like R&D um, evenings and they have um, uh, brown bag, bag lunches and they have a lot of fun stuff that the regular guy, the regular developer don't have at work with the workplace because if you work at a bank or whatever they don't have that interest so we thought okay there's something missing in the community and perhaps we can make that accessible for for everyone so we have a code heavy user group so you come you bring your laptop and 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 we code together or separately or whatever and we can help them with everything windows related but everyone is welcome yeah so our focus is windows development but we have guys uh, working on unity we have javascript java android ios so every everything you can imagine but our focus what we can help with is more windows platform related in my case i work as an asp.net developer so i can help with with that part also so yeah, and we have everything from from students that haven't written a line of code that want to learn, and we have professional game developers, and we have we have a senior guy. We have everything, so it's uh, it's quite nice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at the two of you together, I mean, you know, I I know my wife; she is not interested in anything tech related. Um, I actually did get her to wear a jacket that has our logo on it, but that's I think the closest she'll come to technology, um, other than enjoying her smartphone. Um, but it seems like you two, you know, have a complementary skill set. Like we prefaced, you know, you guys are quite a bit different, but you are still MVPs and tech enthusiasts in the same areas. So, you know, how how does that work between the two of you, and how does that help you with your conferences and all of that other stuff that you do and run? It's awesome for for conferences or or when we plan a hackathon or even if we work separately on our, our on our talks because we we can get help from someone who does this and from someone with the same skill set. Uh, so, so that's awesome. What's not so awesome is that we have no counterpart to, okay, sleep is not necessary, we don't need to eat, we have to do this. We have no one to tell us to stop. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, A couple of days ago, Jessica came in and said, hey, we need a 3D print printer. <laughs> well, wait, what? <laughs> Just like that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, at home I can say it's quite different for me. It's yeah. Carl, put down your phone. Yeah, Carl, yeah. put away your laptop. That won't happen <laughs> at our house. <laughs> like, for, for good or for bad, that yes. won't happen. Come on, open Visual Studio. Come on. <laughs> oh, that happens at our house. That actually happens because one of we have two fights, mm -hmm. and one is Marvel versus Bl uh, versus Blend. Huh? Oh gosh, <laughs> Marvel versus DC, like you said, and the other one is Visual Studio versus Blend. So he's pestering me to open Visual Studio instead of Blend. And he's trying to uh, make me do so with chocolate. Oh. It helps. <laughs> the evil plan. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just interesting. You know, I just, like, I don't experience that. So it's interesting seeing, you know, people that are so similar in passion, but, you know, still 
complimentary. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, Jessica, I, I was just wondering if you would uh, uh, relay, like, yesterday you told me a story about how you two met, and I yeah. just thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, we. I was surfing the web, and, and uh, I, I needed a... TV listings app. So Jimmy apparently made one. So I, I beta tested his app, and my mail server was down. So I used a Star Trek-related email address uh, to contact him with with some bug reports, of course. Uh, so he commented on that, and we got yeah, we started talking, and um, well. Later, later on, I, I moved up, and we had a Star Trek wedding, and we have star dates in our engagement rings. That's awesome. <laughs> so if you're still single, uh, put out an app. That might help. It might help. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I when we have beta testing for our apps, and or if he has an app and he wants beta tester, I'm like you, you are not getting a woman on that beta list. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to mention yet before we uh, wrap it up? Go do awesome stuff. Yeah. If you're in Sweden, come to our hackathons. We have awesome hackathons. Um, and you can find us on uh, codingoftowork.se or .com. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. So where else can we reach you individually online? Twitter. Uh, I have an... <laughs> I have a, I have a, you have a mouthful of a Twitter name. Yeah, I have. It, it makes sense in Swedish. Yep. It's basically potholder or something, mitten or something like that. So that's what she counts as making sense. <laughs> but okay, carry on. In Swedish it makes sense. I'm a woman, I should be in the kitchen or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's not how it works. Uh, and we have blogs. I'm, I'm at uh, cataholic.com. And... I'm at apaholic.se. Awesome. I'm a crazy cat lady, basically. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was nice talking to you, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having thanks. us. We're talking to Lori Lalonde. You've been on the show before. Yes, I have. For those of you who don't remember, Lori Lalonde is a Microsoft and Xamarin MVP, dual MVPs there. Congratulations. Thank you. And also a mobile enthusiast. And you are on which podcast again? Western Devs. So if you are interested in yet another podcast, you might want to check them out. It's a bunch of Canadian developers talking about the tech news or tech item of the day. Yeah. And it usually is a, a wide range of topics. It's not just about um, the technical so side of it. It's also like the soft end of it. I think the last one I was on was Life Outside of .NET. And we kind of were just toying around with what would we do if .NET didn't exist? And you know where would we be? And what would our careers look like? So uh, that was a fun conversation to be part of. And we also did one on ethics, which was really interesting and a little controversial. Um, but it's kind of fun. It's different than just talking shop all day. So Yeah. So um, you, you were just talking to Channel 9 about something. What was that? Yes, uh, I was interviewed as part of a girls' round panel for this new gals show that uh, Channel Nine is now posting, which was really interesting. So, is it is it a series that they're doing then, or um, they already have a couple of episodes up on Channel Nine? Yeah. Excellent. And so, I know that they are taking the opportunity today and tomorrow to interview uh, all of the females that are in attendance here. So, I got to sit in on a roundtable with Kathleen Dollard and uh, Martina, who is an Office three sixty five MVP. Um, so, I was really honored to be able to sit on that table with them because um, they've been in the industry a while. So I look up to, I, I've looked up to Kathleen for quite some time now as, as she's one of my, my role models in the industry. So it was a little bit nerve wracking sitting across from her, but also exciting. <laughs> yes, but uh, you're also there for a reason too. I mean, uh, 
those are some pretty big names, but uh, you're included amongst them as well. So, Aww, thank you, Carl. So, um, what what else have you been doing? Well, I have been continuing work with my user group. I actually have it where I'm running two sessions a month now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many good changes happening in the in the technology space. So I've separated it out into two different streams. One's a Xamarin-specific stream, mm-hmm. and the other one's .NET-specific. And uh, that's been... Um, really, really successful. I get great attendance at both sessions a month. I wasn't sure if uh, people would be uh, all techied out, you know, doing a session every other week, but uh, they seem to really like it. Because so do you get a lot of people going to both? I do. I see a lot of regulars at both sessions. We do get different faces as well, mm-hmm. but there's a core group of uh, hardcore user group fans that come out um, every, to every session, and uh, I absolutely love them. They're a great group. So what what are the challenges with getting people just to know about and come to a user group? Because as a user group leader myself, I see, you know, a lot of people who could get a lot out of coming and participating in user groups. It's It, it really is through word of mouth and... Um that's how we get found. And, and I've switched the site um, to go to meetup.com, which gives us more visibility. We're seeing more members get um, at, being added every day uh, because they just happen to discover us on Meetup. Uh, so that's helped out quite a bit. But it, it has been a group that's uh, been in existence for 12 years in that area. Mm-hmm. I took it over five years ago. So it already had a healthy member base and following. Um, but attendance was starting to drop a bit. So I had to change things up and, and try and find ways to, you know, get it, people excited about coming out again. Um, I started going to the college to, to promote our group. And so we started seeing students come out. I run full day workshops at least once a year, uh, just to, you know, have something different besides just the regular monthly session. And that's really popular as well. Mm-hmm. So we have a Windows 10 developer workshop coming up in November, Saturday, November 14th. Oh, and so yeah, so that's coming up right around the corner. It is coming up right around the corner. And Atlee Hunter is going to be speaking at it. I'm going to be speaking at it. And Andre Murkovich, who's also another Microsoft MVP, is going to be speaking at it. So where is that located? It's in Kitchener. and uh, In Kitchener, Canada. Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Yes. All right. If anyone doesn't know where that is, it's 45 minutes outside of Toronto. That's just what I tell people all the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's great. And uh, I'm giving away a Raspberry Pi 2 um, starter kit. So right. it's a really cool prize. And then some other, uh, the usual swag licenses from you know our favorite vendors like Telerik and Pluralsight and things like that. So it's going to be a good time. It'll be right. a fun day spending it with us. You know, we're the crazy Windows platform development MVPs, you know, uh, teaching everyone all about Windows 10. Yeah, so you sound like you're being you're pretty busy. Yes, I'm extremely busy, but I love it. It's uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So I I I kind of bring that work to, onto myself. So I make myself busy with it. It's just great to see people just excited about what they do. That's like what I live for, especially when you have an idea that you're passionate about and you tell somebody and you see that spark in them too. Yeah, that's always a good time. Oh yeah, and it all started just from. Um, running the user group five years ago, and then I got excited about um, speaking. So then I started speaking at local area user groups as well as my own. And then I started thought, well, I'm going to start try try to go to conferences. And so I got accepted to conferences. The Prairie DevCon was the very first one that accepted me. Uh, and now I go back there regularly. Um, that conference, mm-hmm. uh, I got to do that one year, and I was really excited about that as I felt like 
oh, I'm an international conference speaker now because I get to travel outside of Canada to talk. And uh, that was a fun time uh, being out there. Those guys, they run it the way they run that. They hit that out of the park every day. Yeah. And uh, and now this year, my first time I got accepted to Confu in Montreal, and that's going to be in February. So I was really excited about that. I'm like, wow, because that's a very competitive one to get mm-hmm. into as well. Um, and then Prairie DevCon's coming up again in April, so I'll be going to that. So well, I hope I'm going to that. I, I assume I'm going to get accepted, but I guess I shouldn't assume things. <laughs> we'll see, but that's yeah. that's the goal. So if people want to find more about you online, where can they find info about you at? Um, well, my Twitter is Lori B. Lalonde. Um, my website is solola.ca. That's S-O-L-O-L-A.ca. And I'm also on the Western Dev site, so westerndevs.com. You can see my posts there and you know access the podcasts from there. So, yeah, I'm all over the place. I'm pretty sure if you Google my name, <laughs> you'll see a lot of stuff. <laughs> it was fun talking to you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on again, Carl. Yeah, no problem. All right, now we're talking to Rocky Lodka, and uh, we're going to be talking about CSLA and .NET Core. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. So, you know, you said CSLA and .NET Core. Can you explain what those are and why what you're doing with it is so cool? Well, CSLA is a uh, business object framework that I've been working on uh, for the last almost 20 years, one way or another, probably. And uh, CSLA helps you as a business developer, create uh, your put your business logic somewhere that's reusable across platforms. Okay, so I'm sure CSLA stands for something. What can you break that apart for us? No, it's a word. <laughs> it, it, it used to stand for component-based scalable logical architecture back when component-based was a big deal and everything. But um, nowadays, it's just a, an unpronounceable word. Okay, so <laughs> so then uh, .NET Core. You know, can you remind us what that's all about? So .NET Core is Microsoft's, let's say, re-implementation of .NET um, in an open source, cross-platform way. So that's what uh, uh, ASP.NET, what is it, 6 now is? Or, well, or ASP.NET 5. ASP.NET 5, I get the numbers mixed up. Yeah, so yeah. so the, the new ASP.NET is using .NET Core at its, at its basis, right? Well, so .NET Core, that's correct. Yes. And it also supports uh, UWP on Windows 10. So the the, uh, the the two UI platforms that sit on top of .NET Core, as you said, are, are ASP.NET 5, which also is an MVC 6. That's you get right, all the, the numbers. Number. Oh, yep. yeah, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Yep. And then UWP, or Universal Windows Platform, so that runs on Windows 10, Windows 10 Phone, or you know, Windows 10 Mobile, and, and so forth. So... All right, so um, if I wanted to check out this CSLA and check it out on, on the new work you're doing to bring it to .NET Core, is this out on GitHub or something where I can check out? Absolutely. It's on GitHub. Um, the easiest URL to remember is cslanet.com. All right. Um, it goes to a GitHub-hosted landing page, and then from there you can get to the repo. And um, and I'm happy to have people help me out, too. There's a, a lot of interesting stuff going on because... Um, this morning, I spent a whole bunch of time getting the kind of the, at least it compiles now for .NET Core. Um, whether, that it works, whether it works, <laughs> I don't know, right? Not, now comes the testing. Um, but even once that's done, then um, I need to uh, uh, test it and then make it work smoothly in MVC 6, um, make sure it works on Linux and the Mac. Uh, and uh, so, you know, there's some pretty 
cool, fun things to do, I think. So what are some of the cool things that you can do with it now that it's on .NET Core, other than bring it to these new platforms? Well, I mean, at its heart, the idea of CSLA is that you, as a developer, create a set of business logic, mm -hmm. um, maybe that runs on WPF, mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, and then you say, oh, but I want it to also support a, a web UI or a RESTful service UI or interface. All right. Um, and, and then maybe, and so, but you want to reuse your business logic. So the, the idea is that you just recompile your business logic now for .NET Core, Mm -hmm. um, make it work with ASP.NET 5 as a REST service endpoint, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and then you deploy it on a Linux machine instead of a Windows machine. Um, and maybe that's compelling uh, because that's what your IT group is more you know, used to deploying as Linux. Or, or because, if they want to uh, bring it to a Mac because they've all got these shiny wanna, MacBooks. Oh, and they want to. That's another thing. Or uh, Linux instances in Azure cost less. Uh, per hour than Windows instances do in a lot of cases, and so maybe you say, so there's oh, a really good business case then at that point. Uh, yeah, right. It, I, I don't know that there's a, a huge technical difference yeah. because hopefully your business logic's the same everywhere, right? Exactly. Um, but there are some, I think, compelling either business, uh, you know, inside your own mm -hmm. business or, or financial interest in, in saying, well, maybe I can run it on, uh, have more flexibility in the platforms on which it runs, right? Um, then you start looking at these new uh, containers, you know, Docker containers mm -hmm. um, that are easily deployable or very rapid to deploy and then also very rapid to scale up and scale down. Um, so by being in .NET Core means that now uh, we can also run in Docker containers. Um, and, and so that you know, seems to be the new hotness in terms of the whole DevOps. Uh, Having concept. the microserver. So, and yep. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So that, that's actually pretty cool. So yeah, I think so, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's it opens up a whole bunch of pretty exciting doors. So, um, is it is there anything else that you want to talk to uh, talk about in regards to this, or did we kind of cover the big stuff? I think we covered the big stuff. All right. So where can, where else can we find you online? Uh, find me at lotka.net. Uh, find me on GitHub. Um, I, I hang out a fair amount on uh, uh, Facebook. I've got a public persona page okay. on Facebook that people can find me on. So, Awesome. Well, thanks for talking to me today. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 